You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. When Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 52. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Our reading today is appointed for this coming Sunday's uh, Matin service. My understanding is that this reading is one of 11 gospel readings that are referred to as the Aothenon Gospels. So before we look specifically at today's reading, Father, would you tell us a bit more about these readings, uh, why they are a part of of every Matin service, and what the word aothenon means? Sure. Uh, So to begin, let's just note that these Gospels are not part of every Matin service. They're specific to the Sunday Matin service. So these readings are specific to Sunday. They're not part of daily Matins. And they're read on Sundays because all 11 pertain to the resurrection. And Sunday is, of course, the day of resurrection, the day on which Jesus rose from the dead after resting in the tomb on Saturday, which is the Sabbath, observing the day of rest. Now, the term aothenon is really not that exciting. It obviously sounds exotic to the English ear, but all it means in Greek is pertaining to the dawn. And that's what you find when you study liturgical Greek terms. They're very practical not exotic or esoteric. Uh, Eothenon means, again, pertaining to the dawn, or more literally, at dawn. And so these 11 different gospel readings we cycle through each Sunday are given this name because Jesus rose at early dawn on Sunday, immediately after he had observed the Sabbath rest in the tomb on Saturday. Okay, that makes sense, and it's actually a little more simple than I thought it would be. So let me ask a follow-up to that. And I do promise to get to today's reading in a moment, but I'm also curious as to why these 11 gospel readings at Sunday matins, these Eothenon gospels, are read from the altar rather than at the holy doors, uh, as it's done during divine liturgy, and for other gospel readings that are not uh, part of this uh, Eothenon cycle. 
Okay, good question. And again, we require discussing some nuance that often gets lost in our casual use of terms. So to be precise, those Eotheanon readings are read not from the altar, but from what is more precisely or properly called the holy table. Now, as you just did in your question, most people conflate or confuse the holy table with the altar, but these are actually two separate areas within the sanctuary or behind the iconostasis in the Orthodox Church. It's interesting, Father. I, I wasn't aware of that, so could you help us to understand the difference? So when you think about an altar and what that historically means in the Old Testament and then even uh, more broadly uh, in historic religious traditions, the altar is where a sacrifice is made. And of course in Christianity and in the Orthodox Church when we talk about a sacrifice being made, we're not talking about a new sacrifice, but we're talking about the once-for-all sacrifice made by Jesus Christ on the cross. And our understanding then is not that we make a new sacrifice or that Christ is sacrificed again at each divine liturgy and when we receive Holy Communion, but the understanding is that we participate in, we commemorate that once-for-all sacrifice. And so the priest and deacon, before the divine liturgy begins, perform a service called the prothesis or the liturgy or service of preparation. It's performed to the side of the holy table, and the holy table for reference is the center table, the focal point, so to speak, of the sanctuary, of the area behind the iconostasis before which the priest or bishop stands for the majority of the divine liturgy. And at the service of preparation, the priest commemorates that once-for-all sacrifice as he prepares the bread and the wine for divine liturgy. And in one of the prayers there, the priest commemorates the sacrifice of Christ, saying, Sacrificed is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world for the life of the world and its salvation. And as he says this, he makes cuts into the bread that will be used for Holy Communion, which practically speaking is... Uh, these cuts are, are done to later easily divide the bread for many people to receive communion. But it's also done, as I said, as a commemoration of that once-for-all sacrifice, the cutting into Christ's body. And then after that, the priest pierces the bread, commemorating Christ being pierced in the side. And the priest says, One of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, and immediately there came forth blood and water. He who has sawed hath borne witness, and his witness is true. And of course that line comes from John's Gospel. And right after the priest says uh, that saying that I just quoted, either he or a deacon, if he's assisted by a deacon, mixes the wine and the water in the chalice, which will then later be given to the faithful at Holy Communion. So in any case, I outlined this to point out that the altar, technically speaking, in the Orthodox Church is off to the side where this service of preparation takes place. And when we start to speak technically like you did about where these Eothenian Gospels are read, then we need to use the correct terminology. Your explanation is really helpful, Father, as I, most of us don't see or hear that service of preparation being done. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that, and especially learning about the distinction between the altar and the holy table. But with that in mind, I still have the question of why the uh, Eothenian or Resurrection Gospel readings are read from the side of the holy table and not from the holy doors as all other gospels are read. Yeah, so getting back to your question about the resurrection gospels being read from the holy table, understanding that the altar is something different and is where we commemorate the sacrifice, then we can better understand the symbolism of the holy table. So if you think about it, you can understand that Christ was sacrificed at his crucifixion, so on the cross. But after that, of course, he was taken down and then placed in a tomb. 
So as I said, we make that commemoration of the sacrifice on the cross at the altar over to the side. But later then, during the divine liturgy, the bread and the wine that was prepared at that service of preparation at the altar is moved and rests on the holy table. So the holy table then, following this logic, symbolizes the tomb. After the sacrifice is commemorated at the altar, the resting in the tomb is commemorated at the holy table. And so the resurrection gospel is proclaimed from the holy table, which again represents the tomb. It's as though the message is being proclaimed from the tomb as it was, and we hear this in some of the resurrection readings, as it was by the angel to the myrrh-bearing women and Peter and John when they entered the empty tomb. And so that's why these Gospels are proclaimed and read from the Holy Table and not, like you said, uh, the other Gospels from the Holy Doors. And in the Orthodox Church, there's symbolism and meaning behind every action, and this is, of course, no different. And I'm glad you brought it up because I'm sure most people aren't familiar with this and and have similar questions, but just haven't asked. Yes, it's a very helpful uh, explanation there, Father. Now on to our reading today, beginning at verse 37 quote here, but they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. End quote. When I read this verse, uh, when I read this earlier, I, I immediately thought of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man asks Lazar- that Lazarus be uh, sent back to warn his brothers. And Abraham replies in Luke uh, 16:31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I'm not sure how to phrase my question here, Father, but I'm having a difficult time reconciling both of these passages regarding Christ's appearance in the flesh from today's reading and Abraham's response to the rich man's uh, brothers not being persuaded even by one risen from the dead. Am I making any sense here? Well, I'm I'm not sure if you're making any sense, but let's try to make some sense out of it. I, I guess the way I'm interpreting your question, interpreting what you see as difficult to reconcile, is that in our gospel reading for today's episode, Jesus is appearing from the dead to convince the disciples of his resurrection. But in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, as you mentioned, Jesus teaches that if people are not convinced by Scripture itself, then even if a person rises from the dead as he did, they will not believe. Is, is that what you're getting at here? Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's my question exactly. I'm, I'm glad you're able to decipher what I was getting at. Okay, well, yeah, you know, you actually you know, bring up a good point, one I honestly wouldn't have even considered, but I see where you're coming from, and it definitely makes sense, and I'm glad you brought it up. Well, that's, uh, that's why you pay me the big bucks to be on this show, Father. <laughs> yes, it just proves that a good friend of mine is wrong. Uh, when something would go wrong with a situation like you're in, Jason, where no one's getting paid, he would say, you just can't get good free help anymore. But you're proving that to be false. <laughs> On a serious note, though, you really do bring up an important point that's easy to miss. And let me say from the beginning that there's no contradiction between the two passages, the one that you read today and the one you cited, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. What's actually going on with this story And the need for Jesus to appear to his disciples and point out to them that it's truly him by showing them his healed wounds is that Jesus is shaming the disciples. That's why he begins by asking this question, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? In other words, why is it necessary for me to appear to you as the risen Christ for you to believe? 
You should have believed already. You should have recognized me from the teaching of Scripture and from my teaching of Scripture. So actually, this is really a shame to the disciples who, remember, had forsook Jesus and fled when he was crucified. And that's why, as you know, I've highlighted many times in sermons the faith of the Roman centurion, the Roman Gentile soldier. Remember at Christ's crucifixion, the Roman centurion was the first person to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. When Jesus was crucified and when Jesus gave up his spirit, the Roman soldier standing there said, Truly, this is the Son of God. To be clear then, this soldier recognized the crucified Messiah, not the risen Messiah, but the crucified Messiah as the Son of God. And it's a shame to the disciples, and by extension, it's a shame to us if we use the resurrection, so to speak, as a crutch. We should recognize the crucified Messiah as the Son of God. We should have faith that if we deny ourselves and die to our own selfish desires and our self-centered will, that we become like Christ, that we would be fulfilled as human beings. The idea in our minds of doing those things so we would be raised from the dead stems from our human weakness and our lack of faith. It reminds me, and I wish I could remember her name in her monastery, but at the commencement address when I graduated seminary, the nun who spoke mentioned how someone asked her, you know, if someone proved beyond any doubt that there's no God, what would you do differently? How would you live differently? And she said with complete sincerity, I wouldn't change a thing. And to me, that's powerful. It's the power of the gospel. Living the gospel here and now is sufficient. It's fulfilling. It's what it means to be a human being. The resurrection, figuratively speaking, is icing on the cake. But the cake, the real heart of the matter, is seeing and understanding the value of living the gospel here and now. We're running really short on time, Father. We had a relatively long reading today and, and a really great broader discussion about the uh, Aeothenon Gospels, which was really insightful. But perhaps really quickly you can talk about why, in today's reading, it mentions Jesus went to Bethany for his ascension. Yeah, so what I'll do here is just give a preview and then direct our listeners to two previous episodes if they wish to hear more. Bethany means house of the poor. And so obviously being in Bethany is congruent with Jesus' ministry to the poor and the outcast. And so Jesus doesn't leave earth from the beautiful, historic city of Jerusalem, but rather he departs from where he had spent most of his earthly time. He departs from the house of the poor. And again, for further discussion on this, listeners could go back to episode 8, which was from November 20th of 2019, or more recently to episode 45 on August 12th of 2020. Thank you, Father. We began today's episode by exploring the liturgical context in which we encounter the Sunday Matins Gospel readings, also called the Aeothenon Gospels. Father Aaron explained that these specific gospel readings are read at Sunday matins as they all pertain to the resurrection. The term used for these gospel readings is aeothenon, which means at dawn. And just as Jesus rose at early dawn on Sunday, so too we hear these passages referring to his resurrection in the early morning each Sunday. We then discuss the differences between the altar and the holy table. While the altar is a term that is commonly used for the holy table, which is the center table in which the priest or bishop stands for the majority of the divine liturgy, the altar is properly understood as the area to the side of the holy table. This is where the priest and deacon perform the prothesis, the service of preparation prior to the divine liturgy that commemorates the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. 
Father then explained why the Matins Gospel is read from the Holy Table rather than the Holy Doors. As Christ was sacrificed on the cross, then taken down and laid in the tomb, we see this same movement from the altar, where the sacrifice is commemorated, to the Holy Table, where the resting in the tomb is commemorated. Thus, the Holy Table symbolizes the tomb. And so the Resurrection Gospel is proclaimed from the Holy Table. Finally, we discuss today's reading and the appearance of Jesus to his disciples. Here, Jesus questions the need for his appearance and shames his disciples. And by extension, Jesus shames us if we use the resurrection as a crutch. As Christians, we should recognize the crucified Messiah as the Son of God, just as the Roman centurion proclaimed. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia.